Well, good evening. It's good to see those who are here tonight. Glad to have you joining with us there on our social media platforms, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, to follow us there. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, click that notification bell, and retweet us there on Twitter. All that helps to just uh, get our word out there more. It helps with the algorithms with those to get it in front of more people also. And just want to say welcome to those of you who have joined us on our phone live streaming also. Uh, if you need bulletins, <clears throat> don't forget that they're at the doors when you came in, at the windowsills when you came in. In. Lots of things that are mentioned uh, in the bulletins at home. You can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com, go to the info tab, uh, just a couple of tabs over, and you can download the worship bulletin for this week. Uh, you can download uh, the prayer guides for, I mean, the, the uh, children's worship bulletins, ages three and up, ages seven and up, and then also under the info tab, you can download the prayer needs guide there. So I encourage you to take the time uh, to do those. You can also do your online giving there. If you go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab. You can do that there online. You can do that from here online. You can do it in the offering plates, which I don't think are down here right now, but they're somewhere here on the sides. Uh, you can do that. Drop your offering in there tonight. Uh, offering envelopes are in front of you there. Uh, but you can do that on the website also, as well as being able to do uh, designated giving there for some of the special offerings that we have. So just want to begin the worship service tonight with a word of prayer, and then Brother Mike can come and lead us in our song. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessings that you've given us today. Thank you for watching over us, for providing for us. We thank you, Lord, for what's about to happen this coming week in Vacation Bible School. And we just want to ask, Lord, that you will speak to us, you will speak into our hearts. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, help us to have the words to say to the children, to their families as they come for Vacation Bible School. We pray, God, that you will watch over us that you'll place a hedge of protection about us to keep us safe throughout the week, help us to have an enjoyable time, help us to have a time that worships you and honors you. But Lord, we pray most importantly for those children who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This will be an opportunity for us to plant seeds of the gospel into their hearts. So be with all of our workers, be with all of our teachers, uh, bless them and give them wisdom and discernment throughout this coming week. Uh, it, it refresh them, give them the strength to keep pressing forward, uh, give them, Lord, your power through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to keep going uh, all throughout this week. And we just want to give you the glory and the honor for all the blessings and all the response that we'll see through Vacation Bible School. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike. Take your hymnals and turn to 337, or you can use the screen, and sing, I know whom I have believed. Miss Pat.
this is a different backdrop tonight. <laughs> and so it showed up good on the screen uh, when I looked at it earlier up there uh, with the cameras for the online. Uh, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to John chapter 14, verse 7 through verse 14. If you'll remember this morning, I reminded you we'll be going through uh, the, these chapters here of the Gospel of John uh, for the next couple of months and looking uh, at what Jesus has to say here. Because in essence, what we see here is the last sermon Jesus is preaching to his disciples the last sermon that he is preaching to us before he goes to the cross. You might call it an upper room sermon, if you will. Uh, as he's there in the upper room with his disciples, uh, they've eaten the meal and he's sharing uh, with them some final words uh, before he departs to go to the cross, knowing that that's about to happen. So we're just going to begin uh, here, if you will, with verse 7 uh, down through verse 10. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word, and you can stand at home too, if you will. John 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word tonight. What a powerful word that Jesus is sharing here with his disciples in this sermon in the upper room. And Father, I pray that you will use it to encourage us as believers to uh, build us up, to refresh us, to energize us for the coming days ahead, to give us the power, Lord, the strength that we need to keep pressing forward in the power of your truth and the power of the Holy Spirit, as we're going to read more about the Holy Spirit in the coming days. So, Father, I pray that you'll show us tonight the power of a new beginning, that many of us, Lord, uh, make mistakes in our lives, we sin in our lives, and we're looking for that new beginning, a fresh start, if you will, uh, in our hearts. And so I pray tonight you'll help us to see some things that we need to look at, that we need to listen to, that we need to observe, and then some truths about uh, the power of a new beginning for our lives, that you are the God of a second chance. And so, Father, I pray that you'll give us that power and, and renew us for the days ahead. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. <coughs> so, as I said, as Jesus continues this upper room sermon, he moves into this brief but fascinating section about his oneness with the Father. He started this great sermon, uh, as you remember this morning, about the Father's house. Uh, and now he continues with a word about the Father's Son. So he's speaking about himself. So here in verses 7 through 12, Jesus calls God his Father nine times in these verses. If you remember some of the things we told you before, when you're studying Scripture, when there's things that are repeated in a short paragraph section or a, or, or a short, even, even in just one verse, is something you ought to pay attention to. So nine times he calls God his Father here. And that clearly means that what Jesus is claiming is he's claiming to be the Son of God as well as the Son of Mary. In these five verses, Jesus is helped along by a question from Thomas and a statement from Philip as he continues his claim that he is the only way to the Father. And the reason he's the only way to the Father is because he's at one with the Father. Uh, and so uh, the reason he's the only way to God is because he himself is God. So once again, Jesus is very clearly here presenting himself as the eternally existing, the self-sustaining, the uncreated creator of all. He is the deity and the divine sonship of Jesus Christ. That's the constant theme that you're going to see in John's gospel. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, uh, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and do you, can you say the rest of it? and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so from the very beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we recall that this Word, who was from God eternity past, the Creator of all things, stepped into time and became flesh. Uh, a songwriter put it this way, He was the Word of the Father, now in flesh 
appearing. Now, I'll give you a minute to think about that. We'll come to that again at the end, where that comes from, what song that comes from. And when he did come in flesh, we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so the, the, John then begins to write this entire book, this entire gospel, to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And near the conclusion of his book, here's what he says in John 20, verse 31. I won't have this, uh, these uh, supporting passages uh, on the screen, so you'll just have to maybe jot them down in your notes as you're jotting notes down to go back to reference them. Uh, we'll just see the passages from John chapter 14. But John 20, verse 31, at the very end of his book, he says, but these are written, these things that he's written in his gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So understand that, that Jesus wasn't a man who becomes God. But by mercy, by his mercy and by his grace, he was the God of all gods that became a man. And so in this passage, we're also going to see that Jesus is a God of grace, that he's a master of mercy. He is a savior of second chances. And I'm glad that God lets us have second chances, that God lets us have do-overs, another opportunity, if you will, to learn from what we made mistakes in yesterday. And so I want us to see here what God has in store for all of us who may be looking for that new beginning. If we're going to have a new beginning and see the Godhead veiled in flesh in the person of Jesus, first there are several places that we need to look. One of the places we need to look is what we just read about in verse 7 down through the first part of verse 10. We need to look at his characteristics. Look at his characteristics. So the birth and the lineage of Jesus has long been a subject of controversy and criticism. There's really, though, only three possibilities uh, about, his, about it. The first possibility is that Joseph was the father. But that was an accusation that was denied by Mary and Joseph. The second possibility is that she was pregnant by some other man uh, that was his father. But even, and even Joseph fell for that for a brief time, if you'll remember. He, he thought that she, she must have been with someone else because he knew he hadn't. And, and so Joseph kind of fell for that. But if either of those choices is true, there are major problems because it would mean that Mary was a promiscuous woman who lied to cover her actions. It would also mean that the Bible is a fraud because it plainly teaches that Jesus was born of a biological virgin, virgin and not a typical act of procreation. The only other possibility and the only reality is is that Jesus was conceived by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit and that he is the Son of God. And so one way to prove that is by asking, whose son does he look like? I mean, that, isn't that the question we ask uh, about our babies? Uh, who, does, who does she look like the most, mom or dad? Who does he look like the most, mom or dad or grandma or grandpa? Uh, who do they look like? Well, we want to look at that and compare Jesus to God. Who does he look like? Does he look like his father? Well, notice his earthly appearance. Look at that, you know, we talk about those things. Look at that nose, look at his head, look at his father's eyes. So keep in mind that he was an earthly son of a heavenly father and the heavenly son of an earthly mother. So he had two natures or two sides. On his mother's side, he appears to be about 33 years old. On his father's side, he's from everlasting to everlasting. On his mother's side, he was born about 4 B.C. On his father's side, he is the uncreated God of eternity past. On his mother's side, he was born in the fullness of time. On his father's side, he was birthed by him. On his mother's side, he didn't have a stately form or, or majesty, but on his father's side, we beheld his glory. On his mother's side, he looked like a peasant carpenter. But on his father's side, he looked like a miracle-working prophet, priest, and king. And so he says here in John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus answering Philip here says to him, 
have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So if you look at some of the other places in the Gospels, in John 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Uh, in John chapter 17 and verse 22, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. He's speaking to God the Father, and he says we are one. And in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, uh, Paul says about Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when you look at uh, Jesus in his earthly appearance, he is the spitting image of his Father. That's his earthly appearance. But I want you to see also his essential attributes. His essential attributes. Because the New Testament uses at least three words that are translated as the word see in our English language, S-E-E, -E, uh, that you see. Uh, one word references physical sight. Uh, you, can, you can see me. Another word means to scrutinize or to consider. Would you look at that? We're not talking about physically look at that. We're saying think about that, consider that. Uh, the word see that appears here is not really describing physical sight. It's a specific word that speaks of comprehension and apprehension. It, it describes understanding and believing. Uh, we may ask, do you see what I'm saying? What did I mean by that? Do you understand? Do you comprehend? Uh, is what we mean by that. A parent may say to their child, you're going to see one day that I was right. They don't mean that you're going to see physically that I was right. You're going to understand that I was right. This word means to behold. It means to scrutinize. It means to examine and believe. And so Jesus is saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the essence of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God. Because the Father and the Son are of the same essence, everything the Son says or does reflects the Father's words and His deeds. And so in the case of Jesus, everything that He said is exactly what His Father in heaven would have said. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us that Jesus is the radiance uh, of the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. In Philippians 2 and verse 6, Paul says, Jesus existed in the form of God. If Jesus represented the Father's nature, then we should expect that He should reflect the essential nature of God. Well, what was God like? What was Jesus, in fact, like? Was He like that? If, if this is what God the Father was like, was Jesus like that? So what was God like? Well, there's some things we can see about some essential things, some essential attributes about God. One is this, God is holy. God is holy. In fact, if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, you remember when Moses met God in the burning bush there? What did God tell him? He told him to take off your sandals, take off your shoes, because the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. It's holy ground because a holy God is there, present there. Isaiah the prophet, you remember when, when he heard the angels crying? What did he hear the angels crying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, God says this when He gives all those laws and, and, and particular things that the Jewish people were to do. He says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So was Jesus holy? Well, Judas said of Jesus that I have betrayed innocent blood. Remember Pilate, when he examined Jesus, he said, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this just man. You remember the thief on the cross? Uh, he, he, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. There was a centurion soldier there at the cross that said, surely this was a righteous man. 
Paul said this of Jesus, that Jesus was without sin in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Peter said that Jesus was a holy servant in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. Hebrews 7 verse 26 says that Jesus was pure. He was blameless, undefiled, and separated from sinners. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that Jesus was tempted in all manner as we are and yet without sin. Jesus is holy like his Father. So he reflects his Father in that. God is forgiving. God is forgiving. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and he forgave Adam and Eve. David himself, who committed sin uh, with Bathsheba, and uh, ultimately said, my sin is, is not just against Bathsheba and not just against Uriah, who I had killed. Ultimately, my sin is against you, O God. And so he wrote Psalm 32 to tell about how blessed we are uh, when we are forgiven by God. Psalm 32 verse 5 says this, I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 103 and verse 3 says this about God. Who, he is God who forgives all your iniquity or all your sin. Psalm 89 verse 1 says, I will sing of the mercies or the forgiveness of the Lord forever. Psalm 130 and verse 3 and verse 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So what was Jesus like? Did he reflect the, the nature, the attributes of, of God the Father in that? Well, Jesus, you remember when the woman was caught in adultery? He said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Uh, to the paralyzed man, Jesus said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. When he was on the cross, you remember on the cross, he looked down at those who were his accusers, those who had put him on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is forgiving like his Father. What's another characteristic, another attribute of who God is? Well, God is eternal. In Genesis 21, Abraham called him, called God the everlasting God. In Deuteronomy 32, Mo, or 33, Moses called him the eternal God. When he was criticized by the Pharisees, when Jesus was, was he considered eternal? He was asked about his age. Jesus said he was older than Abraham. Now, he didn't look that old with the eyes of the flesh, but with the eyes of faith, he appears to be the Ancient of Days. In Colossians 1, verse 17, Paul said, He is before all things. And John opens his gospel, and we read it just a moment ago, or quoted it just a moment ago, that says, In the beginning was the Word. What's the beginning he's talking about? He's talking about the creation. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And so Jesus is eternal like his Father. So look at his characteristics and then listen to his conversation. Listen to his conversation. Pick up with me again, if you will, in verse 10 down through the beginning of verse 11. So remember, Jesus asked him and says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. See not just what he looked like, but hear what he sounded like. Most of us know that the Bible contains 66 books. You know the Bible, uh, that those 66 books contain nearly 1,200 chapters. That's all the, and all those chapters, it contains over 41,000 verses. And with all those verses, there are over 34 million words, or 3 to 4 million words. And it could be said that every one of those words was written to answer the question Jesus asked the Pharisees back in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 42 when they said, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Many of the words that answer that question came from Jesus' lips himself. 
And so notice his personal witness. Now, John calls a lot of witnesses in his gospel to testify that Jesus is the Son of God. He summons a lot of proof. He enters a lot of evidence to prove the claim that Jesus is the Son of God. But the star witness in his claim is none other than Jesus himself. Philip wants to see God. And Jesus might very well have said, you haven't been watching very closely, have you? You haven't been listening very well either, have you? Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 35, years before, when Philip was there, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John 8 verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 10 verse 9, he said, I am the door. In John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, that we read this morning, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So right there, he's saying, John, didn't you just hear what I said? How many times have we said that to our kids? Didn't you hear what I just said to you? I said it as plainly as I could. Didn't you understand what I was saying? He's saying that kind of thing to Philip here because he just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's about to say in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. And each of those claims and many others were messianic claims. They were claims that he was the second person of the Trinity. That was his personal witness that he shares with his own words. But then there's also his prophetic word. If Jesus were really an omniscient God, you would expect that he would be able to predict the future. Well, did he? He prophesied the story of, of Mary of Bethany would be told. Uh, and we, we tell that story uh, often over and over. He, he prophesied Lazarus would get up from the dead. He prophesied Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him. He prophesied that all the other disciples would run for their lives. He told them all that before it ever happened. He prophesied the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that happened in 70 A.D. He prophesied that we would be studying his words. And the fact that we're studying his word uh, today is in itself a fulfilled prophecy. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, he said this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. He prophesied the survival and the triumph of his church. In Matthew chapter 16, he declares that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He said that to a ragtag group of fishermen. He prophesied his own death in Matthew 16 and verse 21. He prophesied he would die in Jerusalem. In John chapter 3 and verse 14 to verse 15, he predicted his death by crucifixion. They could have killed him any other way that they wanted to, but they chose to do it by crucifixion. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, if you're going to do this, why don't you do it by crucifixion? No, they chose it themselves. He prophesied that this was going to happen. Here's what it says uh, in, 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 their, in John 3, 14 and 15. It says, The Son of Man must be lifted up from the earth in the same way Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. In Matthew 26, verse 2, he prophesied he would be crucified during the Passover. It could have happened at any other time of the year. They could have brought things to a head at any other time. But it was in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect way. He prophesied that on the third day, he would get up from the dead. In Matthew 16, verse 21, he said that he would be raised on the third day. In John 2, he said he would destroy the temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. He was speaking of his body. That's all the way back in the beginning of John's gospel. Jesus not only fulfilled these prophecies that had been made, Jesus made prophecies that have been Fulfilled. So look at his characteristics and listen to his conversation, but then also learn from his conduct. Learn from his conduct. So verse 11 and verse 12, we'll pick up with the beginning of verse 11 again. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So not just what he looked like and sounded like, but what did he act like? Jesus might as well have said, I'd rather you take my word for it, but you don't have to. 
You, you've heard the saying that action speaks louder than words. That phrase is used when actions and words don't match up. In Jesus' case, actions speak along with the word, and they say the same thing. They match perfectly, and they both say, He is God. So notice the signs that He performed. In John chapter 2, He turned the water into wine. In John chapter 4, He healed a nobleman's son. In John chapter 5, he heals a lame man at Bethesda. In John chapter 6, he walks on the water and he feeds 5,000. In John chapter 9, uh, he heals the man born blind. In John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 10, verse 37 through verse 38, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus says, if I am not doing the works of my Father, he says, then don't believe me. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, God the Father in heaven, the God that you worship, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But then he says this in verse 38. He says, but if I do then, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Leon Morris said this, he said, the works of Jesus should convince them that there was someone who was more than merely a man who was the one in whom the Father dwelt. He showed his power over diseased conditions when he healed the lady who had the issue of blood in Mark chapter 2, uh, when he healed the man who had the withered hand in Luke chapter 6, when he healed those who had leprosy, 10 that he healed at one time, and only one of them came back to thank Jesus. And so he had power over disease conditions. He had power over darkened eyes. So when he healed Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, by the Jericho Road in Mark chapter 10, that was an evidence there. When he healed two blind men in Matthew chapter 9 that cried out, Have mercy on us, son of David. He showed his power over deaf ears in Mark chapter 7 where he heals a deaf mute. Jesus put his fingers in the ears of that deaf man's ears and he spit on his fingers and he put saliva on his tongue and he showed his power over demonic spirits when he healed the man from, the, from Gadarene that had the, the legion of, of demons within him and sent them into the pigs. When he healed the, the deaf mute man in Matthew chapter 9 who began speaking and hearing. So he shows his power over disease. He shows his power over deaf ears. He shows his power uh, over, over darkened eyes. And he shows his power over the demonic spirits. But he also shows his power over dead bodies. When he healed Lazarus and brought Lazarus back to life. When he, when he brought Jairus' daughter in Matthew chapter 10 back to life. When he healed the, the widow woman, uh, her, her son, uh, the widow woman of Nain uh, in Luke chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 27, 52 to 53, when he cried out from the cross, you remember what happened there? As I went back to study it, I was like, wow, something I missed. In Matthew 27, verse 52 to verse 53, he cried out from the cross. And you remember when he cried out from the cross that the graves of the Old Testament saints opened up. And after his own resurrection, they walked the streets of Jerusalem. And people saw them. I mean, could you believe that? I mean, that's something we miss about what happened there uh, w w with Jesus' resurrection, that, that people came out of the graves, people who were dead, and they walked the streets and people saw them and, and talked with them. I thought you were dead. You were in the grave. And yet they were alive. I mean, when you see all of these things and all of these acts, what does it say? This is no ordinary man. This is God in the flesh. I mean, think about it. Jesus shouted at a cave, and a man got up. He shouted from the cross, and many got up. And one day, he's going to shout from the clouds, and the multitudes are going to get up when he comes again. Jesus told the disciples of John, of John the Baptist, when they asked if he was the Messiah. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 4. And verse 5, Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell John what you hear and see. What did you see? He goes on to tell them in verse 5, The blind received their sight, and the lame walked. 
lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is saying, all you got to do is look at the works. If you don't see or believe anything else I say, look at what happened. It declares that I am God. Think about it. What do you call a man who sees patients, who writes prescriptions, who performs surgeries? You call him a doctor. What do you call a man who gives assignments or grades or papers or administers tests or gives lectures to students? You call him a teacher or a professor. What do you call a person who can do the things Jesus did? What do you call a man who can do the things Jesus did? God. So there's the signs that he performed. But also, there's the sinners that he pardoned. Now, all this is setting the foundation for what we're going to see in just a moment that Jesus tells us that we have the power to do. So notice he says it's the sinners he pardoned. In Mark chapter 2, the whole purpose of the miracles was to prove that Jesus, that Jesus' power to perform the greatest miracle of all was the forgiveness of sins. You remember that? They had no problem with Jesus going over here and, and spitting on his fingers and, and putting that saliva on a man's eyes to bring back his vision. He, they had no problem with Jesus sticking his fingers with saliva in somebody's ears to bring hearing back to them. They had no problem with Jesus saying, rise up and walk. But when Jesus said to anybody, you're forgiven of your sins, they said, well, wait just a second, only God can do that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. And that's why it leads to this part about the sinners who are pardoned because the miracles prove he has the, forgive, the power to forgive our sins. If Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, if Jesus didn't die on the cross and get up from the dead, if he didn't go to the right hand of God to make intercession, I mean, if he lived like every other man lived and died like every other man died, I mean, if the whole thing was a hoax, was a fraud, was a sham, then we ought to have a few questions ourselves. Who was it that changed Paul from a madman to a minister? Who was it that changed that Philippian jailer? Who was it that took you and changed your heart and your life? You know, in this church and in every church, we, we've got people saved out of all kinds of backgrounds, out of every sin imaginable. If Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, the one who reached down into this mess of your life and touched your heart and saved your sorry self, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, who did that for you then and has kept doing that for you ever since? Who was it that sustained you when the winds blow, when the storms rage, when the pressures rise? Who is it that's been holding your life together? I'll tell you who it was. It was Jesus Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. With the angels we will sing glory to the newborn king. He's the one who's given you the power to have a new beginning. That's why we had to go through that part before we come to verse 12 to verse 14 that tells us how to have a powerful new beginning. A powerful new beginning that gives us greater productivity. Greater productivity. Look at verse 12 again. He says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, <coughs> whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised power 
before he ascends, uh, he tells them that, that the Holy Spirit is coming. He says that you're to go and, and the power of the Spirit is going to come upon you to go and be witnesses in, Ju in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus promised power after that the whole power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Here's a little preview of the type of work we'll be able to do when we have that kind of of power. Notice the subjects that are revealed. He who believes in me. So the kind of service, the kind of life, the kind of spiritual resume that Jesus is describing, that's not a power that's limited to the pastor or to any of the other staff or to your deacons or to your Sunday school teachers. That's for every believer. It's not something that's relegated to those who have a seminary degree. If you're saved, this life of powerful work is for you. It's not limited uh, based on your assignment. It's not limited based on your age. It's not limited based on your ability. The work Jesus is describing is his work in and through you. We ought to say, Lord, if you can use a boat to save humanity, if you can use a donkey to correct a prophet, if you can use a rock to kill a giant, if you can use a wooden cross to save the world, then you can use me. Here's the subjects that are revealed. He who believes in me. And then there's the service that's required. He says, the works that I do, he will do also. So the word work there in the Greek is the word ergon. Uh, and sometimes it's translated elsewhere in the Bible as deeds. So this word is used in Paul's description of the judgment seat in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13 to verse 15. Same word that's used here. When he says this in verse 13, each one's work, or ergon, will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work, or ergon, each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Another place this word is used is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verse 58 that says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work, in the ergon of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us that our salvation is not by works. It's by faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it's, it, our salvation is not by ergon, but we are created in Christ Jesus unto good ergon, or good works. And then there's the scope that's recorded. Greater works than these will he do. Wow. I mean, think about the things that Jesus had done. Healed the sick, cleansed the leper, strengthened the lame, gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He even raised the dead. What could be greater than all of those? Jesus, you remember, calmed the storms with his words. He multiplied a, a little sack lunch, if you will, and fed thousands. He walked on the water. He created everything out of nothing. What could be greater than that? Understand that these, things are, these works are not greater in essence, but in extent. In other words, they're not greater in nature, but in number. <coughs> These greater works are the same types of things, just more. For example, think about this. Peter had more response in one sermon than Jesus ever did in his life when he preached that sermon in Acts. You think about Billy Graham. Billy Graham and, and other great preachers have, have personally preached to more people than Jesus ever preached. Jesus never had the chance to, to teach children in Awana or in vacation Bible school, but you can. Jesus never had the chance to, to travel to Canada or Taiwan or cross the country on a mission trip or to anywhere else in the world, but you can. Jesus never had the chance to share the gospel with your neighbors, but you can. Here's the challenge. What is there about your life that would cause somebody to say, that's the kind of thing 
Jesus would do only more, only greater. These greater works are tied to the fact that Jesus is going away. Acts 1 verse 8, remember we said that a while ago, says that the power of the Spirit will come upon them. In the, fle in, in fle in the flesh, Jesus was not omnipresent. But by the Spirit, God now resides in every born-again believer. Just think about that. In, in the years that you've lived, think about even in the, the last year that you've lived, that the Spirit of Jesus, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is living and breathing and working and speaking through every one of us. And if he's speaking and doing and working through every one of us and breathing and living in every one of us, we can fan out across this city, across the country, and the world with the gospel and do even greater than Jesus did in his ministry in those three and a half years. Because ultimately, the things he did and what we tend to focus on is we want to say, well, it's the healings, the physical healings. What happens with a physical healing? Everybody who was dead, who came back to life, had to die again. There's no getting around that. The wages of sin is death. You, every one of us are going to die physically. The question is, is are you going to die spiritually? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you received eternal life? And, and so uh, understand that. And, and so just think, uh, the, the last year that you've lived, you've had the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. What have you done? What can people look at you and say, that's something Jesus would do, but even greater. Think about this. If last year, your last year of your life, was, was not a productive year for you spiritually, the good news is this. The God who makes all things new will let you begin again. He'll give you a new start. Regardless of your past failures, regardless of your shortcomings, the future for you can be a new time of a new beginning of greater productivity. There's greater productivity, but there's also, notice, a glorious prayer in verse 13 and verse 14. So he said, whoever believes in me will do all the works. He said, because I'm going to the Father. But then notice verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask who? Me. Who is me? Jesus. Who is Jesus? God. So remember the context. Jesus is going away. He's not going to be there with his disciples anymore. This entire sermon, this entire upper room discourse, if you will, is, is about encouraging those disciples and taking away their anxiety uh, about his absence. Uh, in fact, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 14, what does it say? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And, and so that's what this whole discourse is all about. I mean, talk about encouragement during troubling times. Notice the simple prerequisite, ask in my name. We have to ask. The scripture regularly invites us to ask God for things. In, Jer in Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, uh, God said, call to me and I will answer you. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He already knows it. He just wants you to agree with him about those things. James said, You have not because you what? Ask not. We have to ask in Jesus' name. And that involves more than just a tagline that we put on the end of a prayer. It means praying for things that are consistent with the will and the character and the nature and the attributes of God and His Word. The best way to make sure that you're praying something that God would say is praying something God has actually said. Lord, you said, 1 John 1 verse 9, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And numerous other passages. There's the simple prerequisite. Ask in my name. But there's also the stunning promise. Notice what he says. I will do it. Two times 
in these verses, Jesus makes a stunning promise. I will do it. That is a reminder that genuine prayer has never been tried and found lacking. It's been found difficult and rarely tried. Notice Jesus is still the one doing it. So the purpose of prayer is not to change God's mind, but to receive God's mind. Your prayers don't obligate God. God may answer you, but he doesn't, he doesn't have to answer you. Nevertheless, we, can get a, we cannot get away from this staggering and stunning promise. If we ask in Jesus' name, he says he will do it. Because if you're asking in his name, that implies that you're asking according to his will, which is his word. There's the simple prerequisite, ask in my name. There's the stunning promise, I will do it. And finally, there's the spiritual purpose that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So this means that, that when we've asked and nothing has happened, that there are only a few explanations. One could be that we didn't ask in Jesus' name. That's what James tells us. We aren't patient. Could be another reason. The answer hasn't yet come, so we've just not been patient. Or the answer, uh, the, the answer was a different answer because our preferred answer wasn't going to glorify the Father through Jesus. So, so the answers to, to our prayers are that, God, that Jesus is going to grant, that he's going to do, are only those things that are going to glorify the Father. And so if, if your life, if your last year, if your last week uh, of your prayer life uh, wasn't uh, that good, uh, the good news is this, the God who makes all things new will let you begin again. And so regardless of any past failures you've had, regardless of any shortcomings you may have in your life, today can be a new beginning of greater productivity and a new beginning of glorious prayer. If the, if the last days of your life haven't been a good year in terms of personal holiness or obedience, the good news is, is that the God who makes all things new will let you begin again. Regardless of those past failures, regardless of those shortcomings, this could be a time of greater productivity in your life. It could be a time of a more wonderful time of prayer and a powerful new beginning. Not because of you. If you're looking for it to come from you, you're looking in the wrong place. That's the whole point of what Jesus said in those first verses. The power comes from God. The power comes from him because he is God. You say, where is he? Where is God? He said, he said in those verses, you've been with me so long and you still don't know me, Philip. I mean, think about that. Here was Philip and other disciples who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who saw the miracles of Jesus, and yet they're still asking, show us the Father. And Jesus says, how long have you been with me? And, and you've not seen, you've not, you've not understood. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? That's the question tonight. Do you know the Father? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior. If you do, and if things have been drifting away in the wrong direction in your life, today can be a powerful new beginning for your life. If you'll ask in his name, he says, I will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who Jesus is and for all that he has done and that nothing about us having a productive, powerful life rests upon us. It only rests upon us in, in the sense that we have to receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and get out of the way and let you work in and through us. Should let your power and your character and your nature be shown in and through us. And so, Father, I pray that we'll realize that Jesus is God in the flesh. That there is no question that he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three in one. And yet, Father, it still is incomprehensible to us in many ways. But Jesus says, if we 
believe, if we trust by faith. So, Father, I pray tonight that if there's any who are watching or any who are here tonight who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus lived that perfect sinless life in my place. He died on the cross for my sins, that he arose from the grave to give me eternal life. And I received that free gift of salvation. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and to come into my life and to change me forever and ever to help me live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if someone's prayed something like that, whether they're at home or whether they're here in person, may they come forward if they're here at home, if they'll just make some communication there on our social media platforms to let us know about their decision so we can be able to follow up with them. Lord, I pray if they're here tonight that they would come forward so we can share with them more and help them to grow in that walk with you. But Lord, there are many of us who are here tonight, maybe even those who are watching tonight, who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but we've not been living in the power of of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One, mainly because we've got sin in our hearts. We're not living holy lives. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we will come with burdened hearts to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for all of my sin, for the things I've done against you, for the things I haven't done that you said I should do. Lord, whatever it is, bring it out into the light of the truth of your word. Reveal it to us that we might confess it because you've told us in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So do that in our lives, Lord. Set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And help us, Lord, to live holy lives that lead to powerful, spirit-filled lives, making a difference for you and an impact for you greater than we ever could have imagined in this world. Greater things even than Jesus and those in his, the disciples in his day ever did. So, Father, I pray that we'll be able to lead more people to faith in Christ and disciple them as believers. May your will be done, and may you grow your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us, number 174. If you would, let's stand and sing. If you need to come, would you come tonight? Thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you for joining us online. Just want to say a word about our online service. Uh, because we have Vacation Bible School this week, we won't be online uh, this Wednesday night. So I uh, want to encourage you to be praying all this week for Vacation Bible School. So we'll be back online this next Sunday. Uh, at, we'll, won't be online for Sunday School, but we'll have Sunday School at 9.15. And then we'll be online at 10.30 for our worship service next Sunday morning and then next Sunday night. Pastor Matt will be uh, preaching both of those services, so come and support him and encourage him and the youth as they share uh, about their youth trip uh, just recently. So you have a blessed week. You stay safe. Keep us in your prayers, especially with Bible school, and we'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday.